man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to When Ain't Work. I'm Tony Moore. Have you guys ever noticed when you walk into a grocery store, the fruits and the veggies, they look like near perfect, right? But you have to know behind the scenes, there's got to be a lot of food waste. And my next guest, I actually have two guests uh, from Impasta, which is a, uh, a spaghetti squash. They've got a really unique way of solving the food waste problem. In addition to that, we're going to get into sustainability, nutrition. It's a it's a really interesting business model and retail food service. They've got other channels. Um, today, I've got Danya Littlewitz. Did I say that right, your last name, Danya? You did. Littlewitz, I nailed it. Okay, she's the CEO and co-founder. Forbes Next 1000. What does that mean, Next 1000? Next top, 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 top executives? Yeah, recognition for um, for making change. Excellent, excellent. It's and always I good to get I that. Sh- yeah, I share that with Peter and Jamie Underhill, are my co-founders. You oh, you share that you 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 actually share that with them. Well, she's being modest, or maybe you hold it over them. She's being modest. <laughs> I would hold it over them, and I <laughs> I also have Peter Mead. He is the chief strategy officer, also co-founder, and. Peter is the, the 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 strategist really behind the brand. Now, Donya, you're probably going to argue with that, but he's got the deep experience, of course, in farming and fresh fruits and veggies, commercializing the operation. 
Danya, I'm glad you're back. You're healthy again, although you're uncaffeinated. Welcome to you both to Winning at Work. Excited to be here. Thanks yeah, for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So I, first of all, just explain your business model. Pete, you want to take oh. that one? I was going to let the, the Forbes 1000 run with exactly. this. Exactly. I think Forbes 1000 should probably kick this off. And okay, then, no. Peter, I, you I, can fill it in. I can do this. Um, so, you know, the, the the whole idea of this business really came from, from Peter. Um, he was working prior um, with a farm, and, and that farmer is actually our, our other business partner, um, and found that 60% of spaghetti squash one year was – was wasted. It was, um, you know, had a cosmetic scarring. And because of that, retailers reject the product. Um, they, you know, everyone wants that beautiful, perfect piece of fruit or vegetable. Um, and spaghetti squash is kind of special. It is all considered a hard squash, but because it has a little bit of a softer skin than maybe like, you know, the cousins, the acorn or the pumpkin, um, it, it has these little, you know, brown marks and and people don't don't want to purchase it you know because it's not beautiful and so it's perfectly edible there's nothing wrong with it and peter had the idea let, let's do something with this waste um peter you probably have a few things you want to add since you were there yeah so th this actually happened back in 2017 and like Danya mentioned we left 60 percent of our squash this is just in one field that's incredible uh, amount of waste one farm throughout the year. And we farm from Canada down through Mexico. So we're a 12 month farming operation. This one little segment that I'm going to reference is at our, in our Ontario farm and an experience due to excessive rain, excessive wind, we had some cosmetic scarring issues, which again, what Donya mentioned, um, you know, retailers just uh, have a certain tolerance that wouldn't accept the, the cosmetic blemish. Um, because of the high soluble fiber, high sugar content, spaghetti squash naturally, when you cut it, it uh, it decays rapidly. Um, where, like, say, butternut or acorn, it's it's a much denser fruit. And um, we had sixty percent of the squash. We wanted to fix that problem. How did we do that? We we commissioned a um, a university in Canada to do all of our R and D, and we actually were blessed, fortunate to receive a Canadian grant. Um, so combined with our in-kind, uh, the Canadian uh, grant and the university, we developed this R&D, which took several years, ultimately resulting in a product that um, is ready to eat. Um, it has a 60-day shelf life refrigerated, um, has zero preservatives, zero additives, um, and then there's another kicker. We can freeze it so it suspends the shelf life um, for up to an additional year. So it does several things. We have a convenience factor, number one. But going back to the environmental impact, number one, we're able to divert product from a landfill into a value-added consumer-friendly product. Um, man, I'm dinging all over. I mean, it's another hectare sold. Um <laughs> Danya, one of the other things that we like to kind of figure out are some of the trends, any kind of background data that you have, you know, as you're studying your business in, in, in your markets, do you, do you have anything you can kind of share with us? Well, sure. So, you know, that, that one year in 2017 at the farm level, we had one commodity, one, one season with one farm and that 
60% waste. It, it was equivalent to about 8.4 million pounds of spaghetti squash. That's, it's just like a staggering number. And that's about a thousand tons of CO2. That's the greenhouse gas footprint. And the water footprint is 114 million gallons of water. So it just gives you kind of an idea of like what one commodity in one season, and that's a, a three to four month season and one farm with what one a waste that creates. Um, and then, you know, when you look at that, the broader scope of United States and the U S 30, 35% of all food goes unsold or uneaten. Most of that ends up in the trash. And food waste in general accounts for 4% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, 14% of all fresh water use, and 18% of all cropland use. So, and 24% of landfill inputs. So that's just, it's, it's an unbelievably staggering amount of waste. And matter of fact, I can add a little color to this. We're, we're attending the refed food waste summit next week. And just pulling from their website, and it's refed.org, just going off what Don just mentioned, 2019, um, 35% of 229 million tons of food available went unsold or uneaten. So I live in the universe of pounds. I don't know how to really equate or identify with tons, but let me just do some quick math. 229 million tons equals over 500 billion pounds. With a B. Um, With a B. Of that, so let me just go a little bit, drill down a little bit. And this is all coming off the Refed website. You guys can check it out. Um, 35% equals 176 billion pounds of total food waste. 6 billion pounds goes to donation. 50 billion pounds goes to recycled um recycled they just identified as recycled food probably as an ingredient or some sort and then that leaves 119 billion pounds of just landfill food waste or product that like impasta where the the product actually just sat in the ground it was never picked up um staggering numbers and that's just one year one country and all of that and still one in six Americans struggle with food insecurity. Yeah, it's staggering because we just need a this circular economy, which is what you're helping to build. I'm sure your audience or there, there will be some um, association with this. And for the people who don't know, in Mexico, uh, we, we farm a lot in Mexico. Um and when you when you buy a farm, it, the land land value really dictates, um, or it, it, the value comes from your water rights. And at, there are times when your water rights have more value than the land itself. Um, so, just, what yeah. does that mean? So, so the government allocates how much water usage you're allowed to use per acre. And if, you know, the water table in certain areas are, 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 are being or lower in certain areas in certain times of the year, um, droughts are, are inevitable in certain parts. But the point being is that um, in Mexico, where a lot of our fruits and vegetables come from throughout the year, 
the water rights have a higher value than the land value in certain areas. It's, it's interesting just to see. What so are there are there any other associations that you're part of? So when we before I answer that question, we um, you know we started this this company to fix a problem on the farm, and we wanted to find a um, a, a use for this product that wouldn't have retail uh, wouldn't have wouldn't meet a retail outlet. And there's actually a term for that, and there's an association. It's called um, Upcycled Food Association. Um, Impasta is one of the first in Canada to carry that mark. And I believe we are one of the first 100 in the United States. We're really proud to be an active member of the Upcycle Food Association. They're also going to be um, not just participating. They're, they're, I believe the UFA and ReFed are tied together in one way or another. Danya, I'm not sure if you know a little bit more about that one, but the UFA will also be at this uh, Food Waste Summit. Well, the, the UFA is a, a newer association and a newer mark that's being presented on packaging. And I think you're going to see this becoming um, more more popular and also just with awareness. Um, when people are, are understanding, just like us, we didn't even know that our product is upcycled. We were just trying to fix a problem and not knowing that there's even a, a term for it. And then when we found this association and, and what they're doing and how they're promoting, um, it's it was something that we, we knew we had to be a part of. Um, and there's some really great other products that focus in on upcycling you know, fruits and vegetables. I even you know, connected with somebody out of Australia who is who had developed it uh, like a a plastic wrap that's made from upcycled potatoes. I mean, it's just mind blowing um, with technology. What what can be done? That sounds promising. Oh my lord! I mean, do yeah. we not need to get rid of plastic? What I'm kind of curious. How did you get that commission or grant from the government? Is that a like a hidden strategy that perhaps other entrepreneurs can can explore? So that's a really good question, and I don't have a perfect answer for it. What what what's what our journey was is that it was um, a, a combined effort. So you know, think of Shark Tank, and when we when we um, interviewed and requested to uh, meet with these universities, we had to continuously do these pitches. And once we got accepted um, into their call it a cohort, if you will. Um, they kind of shepherded us through that process. Now, from yesterday to today, from from that from that point of time to today, I have found that there are third party companies that will help you in grant writing, but it's an extremely cumbersome process to which I still haven't figured out. Well, I was just curious. You know, when a government gives you a grant, do they automatically cut themselves in on you know a portion of equity? You know, because you have to be sensitive to that. You don't want to dilute yourself. You go on Shark Tank. Sure, you're going to get the money. You're going to give away a third. You're going to give away half. So it's just uh, another, I guess, quiver. You know, that someone can can use when they're looking to do some some fundraising. Zanya, why this squash? And and do you guys have plans for any other fruits or veggies? We we do have plans for for future products um, in other and also other vegetables, but spaghetti squash is really our focus because of its health benefits. Uh, it because and like I said earlier, you know it's 
it's a hard squash, but it has a softer skin and it's got these little kind of like hairs um, on the um, on the plant that rubs up against the skin. And so it's one vegetable that gets excessively scarred. Um, and so there is more typical waste. And there's also no secondary processing. When you look at a butternut squash or you know look at tomatoes, there's ketchup. If you look at butternut squash, they have zoodles, they have canned you know puree there's there's soups there's lots of other ways that they use this vegetable but spaghetti squash there really isn't many other ways um and so there was this opportunity especially because it's such a health forward product it's low in calories it's keto you know for plant-based eaters vegetarian eaters and if you're i think we're all trying to really improve our health um and and when as you're getting older you care about what you're feeding your children. You want to make sure that you're providing nutritious meals. And this is such a great alternative where you can put any type of sauce on it. It goes with any cuisine and you're able to, to cut some of those calories out. So we saw an opportunity um, and we're, we're taking it. We're doing some more health conscious things. We've been really kind of cutting out carbs and I've noticed a big difference just in my energy levels. I don't feel bloated. I mean, it's, it's crazy how addicted you get to carbs. And when you can find something that kind of craves that desire for like spaghetti and sauce and meatballs, and you have a, a you know, a good substitute like that, it's, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's, it's, it's really well done and it's, it's fully prepared. That's one of the problems with buying the other stuff is I have to, you know, zoodle it. I got to sit there and cut it and spin it and do it. You just, it's all ready to go with, with you guys. Well, that and also spaghetti squash, it, it naturally spaghetti is when you cook it. It's it's a really special vegetable that I that we find that about 40% of consumers don't even know that this vegetable exists. And when I was introduced to this product by Peter, when he came to me and showed me this idea, I had never even heard of spaghetti squash and I am a crazy foodie. So I think there's <laughs> a big opportunity with education um, of, you know, there's so much diversity out there in fruits and vegetables that we're not even realizing. Well, there's so much that I want to get to with you guys because this is such a – it's just such a smart idea. So let's talk a little bit more about the business. And I know, Peter, you've been really working with Donna you as well to get into retail and food service, some of the other channels. Where are you finding receptivity at this point? So interestingly enough, we just received our first meal kit where Impasto was featured as the, as the main ingredient – um, it was through Marley Spoon and their Dinnerly channel. Uh, so we have four different channels to really kind of discuss. We have food service, meal kit, club store, and retail. Um, we're currently in retail uh, in Sprouts Nationwide and Longos in Canada, and we're starting Costco Canada. We're really excited about this. Costco Canada starts second week of August. And then, um, like I just mentioned, we received our first meal kit last night, which was amazing. Um, starting HelloFresh here in August. So, we, yeah. Wow. Like HelloFresh. I mean, that's like the big one. Yeah. he's They're the 800-pound gorilla. There's no doubt about that. But we're, we're excited about the multiple different channels that we can explore. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into each individual channel. And um, – but yeah, so th this year we're, we're, we're going to be focusing more on the club and meal kits with food service and retail to supplement after we um, get off the ground, if you will. Well, you know, so many brands, they start with one channel. You just mentioned four channels, and I think some people's heads are exploding. Like, how do you do that? 
How do you fund it? Where do you put your priorities? You know, it's, and you guys are in a remote, like a semi-remote culture, right? Well, it, it's actually part of our journey. Um, Danya, maybe maybe you just explain about how COVID really um, forced our, our hand and, and which channel we go with. Yeah, we, we had a very specific strategy to market um, and we were going to start with food service because we wanted to introduce spaghetti squash onto people's plates. Um, and when COVID, we, we launched the company in February 2020 and in March 2020, when everything shut down, we realized, okay, well, we're not going into food service anytime soon. Um, so let's, let's pivot. And, you know, just like we're, we're entrepreneurs, we, we pivoted, we put together packaging, uh, took about, you know, six months, probably six months shorter than it should have. Um, but we, you know, we work really hard and we, we got into sprouts, uh, nationwide. We got into other regional, um, specialty grocery. And so we started our journey in retail where we're launching with, um, their Kroger owned stores, Mariano's and Roundy's, uh, coming in the next couple of months and also went now into Costco in Canada. So we've, we're, we don't, we're not taking on too much at a time, but we also recognize that there's opportunities in all these channels and, um, you know, we're not afraid we're not afraid to do it. We're, we're bringing on the right help. Well, you know, a Forbes next 1000, that's what I would expect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, it does make perfect sense to begin in food service, right? So people can become exposed to it and then they, Hey, what is this? And they can go find it in the retail channel. So with that not happening and then going retail, kind of working on your packaging, have you found you've had to do consumer education are you doing sampling? What's, you know, how are you getting it to, to, to people to, for, for testing and trying? Sampling is really key. Um, trial, especially with a product where, you know, a lot of people don't know what it is. So we're really seeing the opportunity with Costco being able to do, you know, everyone loves trying new things when you're at Costco, you know, tasting while you shop. And so we'll be heavily supporting um, the trial in Costco there. And then that's also why strategically meal kit was such a priority is because it's going to be in, in boxes with directions. People will be able to trial it, understand it, and get exposed to the commodity uh, through meal kits in a big way. I, I love that idea, honestly. I mean, that's, that's the perfect way for people to be introduced to it because – they don't want to cook as it is, or they want it, you know, simplified, right? And I don't, I don't think I've tried HelloFresh. I've done a couple of the other ones. You know, you get kind of busy. We go through a stretch where we'll, you know, we'll we'll get on that program for a couple of months. And I do love it because I can get exposed to lots of different things. The direct, you say the directions are right there. I think it's a, a clever way. Do those um, meal kit companies allow for any kind of personalized branding? Because typically when I buy stuff, you know, when I look at the ingredients, they're kind of white labeled. You don't really know where they're coming from. Yes. Our products will be, um, will be branded in the box. And that was something that had been discussed for, for a long time with the meal kit companies. Uh, that, that's a big coup. I mean, cause I think that's the issue, right? Is most of the ingredients are just, you know, in a little bottle with a label on it and you don't know where it's coming from. You know, they're sourcing it somewhere, but it's not you, you know, I would never really know where to go and, and, and find it. Peter, how did you just spin this business up? Because, you know, invest, uh, entrepreneurs, they, they have a certain amount of money that they, that they're going to spend your, you have to kind of 
prioritize spend and ROI? Where do you go first? Can, talk to us a little bit about how the early phases, how you brought this to life and commercialized it. Yeah, thanks for that question. It's actually a very good question. Um, and, you know, as an entrepreneur in, in different spaces, um, cash is king. Um, and your go-to-market strategy has to be very defined and um, well put together. Um, like we mentioned earlier, COVID really shook things up for us. We had this very distinct plan within food service, and then we were leveraging existing relationships um, it's probably good to mention for the audience here that um, I represent uh, the farm Can-Am Fresh, which is, you know, we've got well over 50,000 acres from Canada down through Mexico. So we're a commercial farming operation. We sell to all the retailers, uh, food service companies, um, value-added processing companies, which Impasta kind of fits in that sandbox. Um so we were able to leverage those relationships. Um, we, you know, we, we, we deal with the Cisco's, U.S. Foods, and Produce Alliances of the world. We just wanted it. We were going to use those relationships to really knock on those doors, kind of do test markets, build out our audience, understand who our consumer was, and then go in a, in a larger way. So we bootstrapped this thing throughout the, the entire process. And then... Um, then yes, then then as you get to a certain point, then you have to start weighing your options. Are you going to raise money and, and what type of investor are you looking at? What we decided is that, yes, once we got to a certain point, then we started bringing in some outside money, but it was very, very concentrated. We were looking for money. Um, we were looking for an investor that had value outside of cash. Um, we found that there was, there was a lot of cash out in the market. Um, but again, we were looking for more of a strategic partner that could lend some advice, some guidance into these different channels, into this, into this space. That's really smart because you might have uh, like a celebrity endorser that might want to put some money to it, but outside of, you know, their celebrity, really, they're not going to be offering or being able to offer like practical business, you know, structure guidance. I, that's that's smart. Did you get that through kind of your own networking? Did you go through a like a, a business networking group to find that? How did that unfold? We have what we'll call low hanging fruit. We've um, we've got we've got a good network of support. Um, Danya uh, through her her family and friends, and also through her education. Um, there is this very strong base of network, and then with within Canam, our company. We have also a very strong foundation and network that we can um, work within. And then, you know, we, we talked about this earlier. The Canadian government um, offers a lot of resources for um, to support local agriculture. So, um, you know, we're, we're still knocking on those doors looking for additional grant funding, government funding to support various different efforts. Um, but it is... It is time consuming. I mean, it's 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 really a full time job just um, working on the equity piece and how that relates to your total capital stack. Donya, you know, it's interesting uh, running the podcast here and then speaking with lots of the other clients that you know, just for my my business. I don't know why it is, but I don't see a lot of uh, female uh, business owners. So I'm I'm really glad to see there's more of that just because 
you just need different opinions, different ideas. And I've talked to many other women in the business and they've said, you know, there does seem to be a limited number of, of, of females in, in food and be- food and beverage. So I imagine, you know, with more and more success that you guys have, you're going to be called upon to probably speak to more women and, and speak to more groups because there's not a lot of people out there that are kind of pioneer, you know, pioneering this space. Yeah, I'm super supportive of, of women in business and entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, I, I also found when I was in business school, about 20% of us uh, were women. And I, I really, I think that goes back a lot to the fact that we're, you know, women usually raise the family um, and you can do both, but it, it yeah, everyone has to give something up. Um, so it's really about priorities. I'm, I'm really excited about being able to, to mentor young entrepreneurs. Um, and I am focused very much on, on supporting women in business. And we also within the business really have a focus for social impact. And I don't know if that's something that, I don't know if we've told you about that before. I'm glad you brought that up, Donnie, because I was just thinking that was one of our earlier conversations. Do you, do you want to talk about that? Is it a social enterprise or you're spinning something else up, aren't you? That we are. So, I mean, well, firstly, you know, as a company, when we founded this, um, this business and, and the product, the company is Impasta, but the product in the U.S. is already spaghetti. Um, and we found that when we're developing the product, we also want to make sure that we're being conscious of the environment um, when we're doing the packaging and deciding are we using plastic and paper and what does that impact look like? And so our first hire um, also a woman <laughs> was uh, an ESG coordinator. And so that's, that is the level of priority that we have towards ESG in our business and really focusing on what is our environmental impact and also what is our impact and how can we impact, you know, social, um, so initiatives. So, you know, we believe as a company that it's a, a company's responsibility to do better and make better products. So it's easier for consumers to make responsible choices. So we take that responsibility super seriously at Impasta Foods. And our during our production process, when the, because there's very specific specs that are needed, um, just like there is on the raw vegetable um, for spaghetti squash, there also is when you have packaging and labeling, you have to make sure you meet minimum uh, weights and, and certain size requirements. And so there are spaghetti squash that are outside of that size requirement. They're either too light or they're too big. And so we still go ahead and package that product. It's super important that we don't have any waste in our production process. So if we're taking the effort and we're picking up that vegetable off the ground, we're going to process it anyways. And anything that doesn't fit the spec for any of our channels, we end up donating to areas that are food insecure. And um, we're, we are developing a nonprofit to to do education and and support that piece of the business. Um, that's kind of a another project. Pete can probably speak a little bit more on that. Well, it's, it's, it's developing and, um, you know, similar to how we, how everything's kind of interwoven through our messaging our um, how we do our business is that if we don't know what we're doing and how we're doing it, then we're going to find the best person to help us guide us. Um, so we, we, we went back to school. <laughs> we are um, enrolled in uh, SE Greenhouse. It's through the Brown University platform and it's an accelerator on social impact. 
Um, all three of us, um, myself, Danya, and Ali, are participating in that um, in that effort, um, and we are actively putting together the the pieces to have this nonprofit that work would that will work side by side with Impasta. Um, you know, just as a proof of concept, if you will, uh, we've we've been able to provide seventy three thousand meals. Um, partnering with uh, two different nonprofits. One, really interesting that I'll give these guys a, a little shout out. It's called Project Hood on the south side of Chicago. They're doing great work um, in an area that's uh, been overlooked by local politicians, governments, um, businesses, and they're making a direct impact in their community. Um, collectively, in one afternoon, we, we, we fed over 25,000 people. Um, and when we were introduced to them, um, it's really what kind of springboarded this whole idea and this whole process. Um, I went there just simply to volunteer one day and I saw not just the need, but I saw what was being donated. There wasn't any fresh vegetables, number one, number two, and that's mainly because of food safety and shrink, you know, it's difficult. To, right. It's, it's got better shelf stability, things like right, that. Right. Refrigeration, yeah. all those logistical challenges. Um, but I saw a lot of Twinkies. I saw a lot of Fritos. Um, saw a lot yeah, of it's just crap food. food. You're really not helping anybody. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Was, yeah. So the pastor um, his name's Pastor Corey Brooks. Um, he's a, he's a, he's a larger guy, and he he looked at me. He goes, Pete, look around. He goes, my community needs nutrition, and um, we heard a really upsetting stat that there is a three mile difference between three miles in the south side of Chicago. The life expectancy is thirty years. Now, there's many contributing factors to that to that that staggering step, but one of them is healthcare and nutrition. So how can we increase health equity through nutrition is something that we're collectively, it's, it's a whiteboard idea and we're, we're roundtabling with some um, industry experts to help us not fix the problem because we're not, we're, we're not going to say that we can fix the problem, but we can definitely chisel away at it. And we've identified South Side of Chicago as an area that we want to focus on. So we, we did, we partnered with them. And then we also recently partnered with the food bank of the Rockies where we provided them with 43,000 meals recently. You know, what I really like about that is that you understand what your core business is, but you still have your mission and you're partnering with the right outside groups so you can fulfill that mission. I see where companies, they do make a mistake and they try to do both right? I mean, you're leading to the consumer with the nutrition and the sustainability and the, you know, it's good tasting. And oh, by the way, this is what we do as well. And I, I think that's a smart way to go about it because people are, are going to buy your product because they like it, because it tastes good, it fits in need, it's um, nutritious. And oh, by the way, look at the, the good that I can do through them. I think that's really the way to connect with consumers is when it's, you know, like that secondary. I know maybe that's uh, maybe we, we disagree on that, but I, 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 that's how I see those being most successful. You know, I, um, I was listening to one of your previous podcasts with uh, Thaddeus and his focus on um, or into the university um, segment and coincidentally with another um, a report that I was reading is that 88% of 
um, college students um, are focused on buying products that are better for people on planet. And, and I didn't, you know, I, college was several years ago for me, but you know, we when I date college, ourselves here on this, Peter, I'm nobody has date, to know that. I'm not going to date myself, but I yeah. will say that I was a ramen and spaghetti and meatballs kind of guy when I was going to school. So I didn't have that, that mental focus on, 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 you know, what my buying power really contributed towards, but right. wow, what, a, what an interesting way, turn of events, you know, I mean, this younger generation really understands the issues here and um, they're sacrificing their dollars in their pockets, or maybe it's mom and dad's dollars. I don't know. But well, that, but see, that is, but that's really a great, a great debate to have because I've, the podcast hasn't aired yet, but I had another um, another guest on and when they were doing their trials and they kind of started it, you know, at the, um, the, the Saturday morning markets and they were lead and they, they would lead with the mission. When people would come up, they thought they were confused. Like, are we here to talk about the mission? Are we here to, are we here to look at the food? So it took them a little iteration. Then they kind of figured out lead with the food and then, you know, show the benefits. So that's what I've heard has worked. Um, I guess it just kind of depends on your target demographics that you're, you know, kind of talking with. Um, either way, I think it's a great idea that you guys, you know, are kind of incorporating both of those. And we can, you know, have a follow up and talk how that's going. I want to finish with a couple questions, the same question for both of you guys. And that is, Danya, we've all received really sage advice over the years. What, what's some of the best advice that's that's been given to you? Ooh, best advice. See, and I'm surprising you with with no coffee. So you're going to really have to scramble on this one. And Peter gets the benefit now because he knows it's coming to him. I think probably, um, you know, everyone in my family is an entrepreneur. Um, I remember like 10 years ago, um, I, I was actually in, a, in my prior career, I was in the pet and beauty business. And um, I, I saw some really great success with some fun viral products. And I remember doing, when I went back to business school, um, you know, do with 360 and you look at yourself and you try to understand, you know, who you are, where you, you know, and how you can improve. And I realized that, that I'm so much influenced by my family. Um, every single person is an entrepreneur, every aunt, uncle, cousin, sibling, grandparent, um, everyone had their own businesses. And I think that, you know, being groomed my entire life for this type of challenge, you know, and, and the advice that I got from my grandfather, um, was that you have to fail. You don't learn anything. If you, if everything's a win then you're not going to learn anything. And so, you know, there's been many failures and, and even within this business, you know, there's recurring challenges and you pick yourself back up and you try, try again and, and then you get it right. So Amen. I would say that, act, that's probably the best advice. Act, learn, adjust. Do you, do you know what fail stands for? Tell me. First attempt in learning. Yeah. Ooh, I like it. Ding. All right, Peter. <laughs> how about you? <laughs> how about you? Well, I would say, you know, similar to what, what, Don, you just pointed out, it's not just one piece of advice. It's kind of like um, a way of, of living, a way of, of moving forward. And, you know, if I were to just kind of summarize it, it's, 
it's um, staying humble, always listening, keeping it simple, and putting God first. And um, those simple principles kind of have been advice through multiple people in different contexts through the different stages in my life. Thank you for saying that. I really, really appreciate that. I wish more people would bring up uh, putting God first in their work because uh, the folly of men, you know, the Tower of Babel will fall, you know, so you better be um, trying to, you know, keep in that kind of alignment. I I think it's great. I was talking to a, a candidate the other day and I could tell she wanted to say something. She wasn't sure kind of where I stood on this issue of God or or religion or spirituality or anything. And I could tell she wanted to say something. And I said, go ahead, spit it out. What do you want to say? And she brought up the topic, you know, and I said, you know, look, this needs to be more of a topic in business because you just can't ignore it. So uh, thank you so much for for saying that, Peter. And Donnie, thank you too. I, I just, it's been great to kind of get to know you guys and to kind of watch this roller coaster rocket ship of you know opportunities kind of unfolding in front of you and i know you're all just trying to stay laser focused and glad we're able to carve some time out to get you on the podcast i've really wanted people to get introduced to you guys the story the the brand what's the best way for people to find the product is there a website they can go to retailers i know you've mentioned a few retailers Yes, yes. Um, Probably the best place is to go onto our website, impostafoods.com. And we have a page that allows you to find us at retail. And we are going to be also offering um, direct-to-consumer shortly. Fantastic, fantastic. What about uh, socials? Do you guys hang out there and do anything? We do. Um, Also, Impasta Foods, at Impasta Foods on LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, we're, we're everywhere. Um, and yeah, then we also, <laughs> Impossible Foods is the, is the main one. And we also are operating under already spaghetti in the U S that's fantastic. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Really enjoyed it, Tony. <laughs> <laughs>